0: Who here felt anxiety, stress, leave in the presence of God just then? Who, who's brave enough to come up and quickly tell us what the Lord has done? Anyone? There was heaps of hands that went up. You know I was setting you up, but, but that's okay. But, but is there someone that just wants to come quickly and just tell us what the Lord has done? Anyone? That's all good. I'm still happy because I saw heaps of hands. So I'm happy. We can go home now. <laughs> but how good was that? It's an amazing what happens in the presence when all of a sudden we come with fear and it leaves. It's something about him. Amen. Who's enjoying school holidays? All the kids said hooray and all the parents said. There's a verse in Second Chronicles that says that, essentially, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And a couple of weeks ago, I shared the fact that myself and Rachel, as we've stepped into the role of senior pastors, we're definitely feeling like that. We don't know what to do, but one thing we are doing, one thing we know to do is put our eyes on him. And the crazy thing that happens is when we keep putting our eyes on Jesus, he starts to give us what to do. It's like this divine exchange where we come in clueless, we come in poor. It says the poor in spirit. We come in poor, we come in clueless, and our eyes are on him, and all of a sudden, we start to see a little clearer. By the way, I'm still clueless. (laughs) Um... I don't have a clue what the next season of Hope Point looks like. I don't know what the next season of Hope Point, what it's going to look like, what it's going to feel like. But there's one thing I'm sure of. There's one thing I'm positive of. And this is that, that the Lord is actually drawing us in. He's encouraging us to prepare for significant increase. Who's alive this morning? He is calling us. It, it's like an invitation. It's stronger than an invitation. It's like a summons. It's like a command that he's actually preparing us for increase. How many know that sometimes we actually wait until we see the promise being starting to fulfilled? But the Lord is saying, hang on, hang on, don't do that. Actually start to prepare now and then I'll bring the increase. As the Lord has been speaking to us and some time back I woke up in the middle of the night and he spoke to me and said to believe for five times increase. My heart was racing. Not 5% growth, five times growth. Scary thought. This is the crazy thing is that we do the preparation and he's the one that builds a church. We do the preparation and he's the one that builds a church. We do the things that he's asked us to do. We prepare and all of a sudden he brings the people. He brings the resources. Now, I'm I'm not just talking about getting bums on seats and getting the tithes and offerings to increase. It's so much deeper than that. It's a promise of God over Hope Point Church to see significant health in marriages. To see families walking in the health and thriving where God has designed them to be. It's like Hayden shared about a significant youth group where where we see young people passionate about God. Where we see them out in our community, just literally living and breathing the love and power of Jesus. It's about seeing discipleship pathways put in place to see discipleship happen so that we can actually cater for five times the growth, a significant increase of what God is about to bring. How many know that God is moving? Who wants to be prepared to catch this next move, this next wind? You fill in the blank of what God is about to do. I'm not sure what the future of Hope Point looks like, but I'm convinced of this, that he is asking us in this season now to prepare for significant growth. Recently, we had some rain, and maybe you don't know this, but we actually had a little bit of flooding in this building. This building actually leaked from the outside in, but I believe there's a day that we're going to leak from the inside out, that there's going to be something that happens in this place on Sunday where we don't just come and tick a box, we don't just come and feel better, but we actually come... And encounter God in the process of ministering to Him. And there's an exchange that happens that we go out and we just leak on people. We infect people with the love and power of Jesus. Amen. So tell the person next to you things are going to change around here. Don't get too comfortable. You might have to give up your favorite seat. We might not have seats. I'm joking. How many know that preparation is important to God? How many know that even preparation in boring things like structure, governance, leadership, ministry, is actually important to God? I just saw half of you guys fall asleep (laughs) when I said governance. But these things are important to God. In Luke's gospel, it talks about a, um, a story when Jesus actually multiplied food. And one day Jesus is speaking to a multitude of people, and this is what happened. The disciples come to him and they say, we've got to send these people away so they can get some food. And Jesus turns to them and says, you feed them. And they say, well, we don't have any food, but hang on, we do have a boy's lunch. And Jesus said, that'll be fine. Bring it to me. But then this is the crazy thing that happens. happens. He gives them practical instructions about how to prepare the people for a miracle that's about to happen. He says to the disciples, go and get people together in groups of 50. Jesus gives practical instruction around structure, around administration, around governance, uh, around these issues that are about to hold the miracle that it's about to happen. We see here that Before this miracle happens, the disciples are busy going around doing this stuff. How many know that when Jesus multiplied the food, it didn't appear in people's laps? The disciples had work to do. They had to organize. They had to to put structure in place. They had to do administrative duties. They had to distribute the food. This is fascinating to me. Because why couldn't Jesus just make it multiply in their laps? We're talking a lot of people, 5,000 plus women and children. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of time, a lot of wasted time, in my opinion. If he could multiply food, why not put it in their laps? The point is that Jesus is looking, the Lord is looking even today for preparation We're working behind the scenes. We're working hard to prepare Hope Point for the next season. We're working with the leadership and how that looks, I don't know. But watch this space. It's exciting. Psalm 24, if you've got your Bibles, if you can turn to Psalm 24. This is a psalm that's been, the Lord's been speaking to me for a couple of weeks. Psalm 24. I read it out, I think it was last week during, in transition, and there's two verses I want to particularly look at this morning. Psalm 24, verse 3 and 4. How many know that while we prepare in the natural, with structure, with governance, with ministry teams and all this, there's actually a personal responsibility for us as individuals to prepare ourselves for the next thing God is going to do? In this season, it's not okay to come here to be part of this family, this church, and say, well, I'm just going to kick my feet up, and I'm just going to wait and see what happens. We actually have a responsibility as individuals to prepare our hearts for what God is about to do. I'm fascinated through history to see major moves of God, revivals of God, All of a sudden, there's these these amazing moves of God. And what we observe throughout history is that people who are sincerely followers of Jesus, they miss out on what God is doing because of the condition of their heart. Isn't it crazy that someone can be sincerely following Jesus for all their life, and when he turns up in a new way, a fresh way, they miss it? It's to do with the condition of our heart. And so as we prepare even ourselves for the next thing that God is doing, He wants to encourage us to look at our heart. Look at the condition of our heart. Are you still there in Psalm 24? Sorry, I don't have many jokes this morning. Actually, I don't have any jokes. So, maybe next week. Psalm 24, verse 3. Here we go. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The Passion Translation says, Who then ascends into the presence of God? Who may stand in his holy place? Let's stop there for a moment. We have to remember that the goal as being a believer, a follower of Jesus is the face-to-face encounter with God. Everything he's doing, everything he's called us to do, ultimately is to have relationship with God. It says that Moses spoke face to face with God like a man talks to a brother. The goal is a deep relationship with God. How many know that we can have amazing structure, we can prepare ourselves with structure, with governance, with all these things but unless he's here, it's all useless. As much as preparation in structure, in teams, in governance is important, unless he turns up, it's useless. We see that in the the story of the multiplication of food. How many know that if the disciples ran around and did all that stuff, but Jesus didn't turn up, it would have been a waste of time. Our ultimate goal is Him. And so verse 3 says, Who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in His holy place? The implication here is that There's a reserved place for people to go deep or go high or go intimate with the Lord. The implication here is that although that we all, by grace, receive the Lord into our lives, we all have an opportunity to come into His presence, there is a reserved place for those who can actually go to the deep places, the face-to-face encounter, the heights in the mountain where they encounter God. It says, so who can ascend into the presence of the Lord who may stand in his holy place? What it's telling us is not everyone gets to be there in their current state. So who gets to be there? Verse 4, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. The way that we position our hearts for the next thing that God is about to do in this church and in your own life is with clean hands and a pure heart. What does that mean? Clean hands talk about the actions that we do, the things that we do, the things we say, our actions. It's all those external things, our doing. A pure heart speaks about those internal things, our thought processes, our emotions, our attitudes, all those things that no one actually sees. He says, this is the posture to get into the hill of the Lord. This is the posture for this face-to-face encounter with God, this deep um, uh, 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 revelation of His presence is for those who have clean hands and a pure heart. In Proverbs, it says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you want to control what you do with your hands... We need to fix the root problem, which is in our heart. What comes out of our mouth, what we do is a reflection of what's in our heart. And so our condition of our heart is is critical, is critical in this season, in any season, but particularly this season, of what the Lord is wanting to do. Years ago, I, when I first got my driver's license, how many, how many people just, that was the best day of their life, that was for me. I had a car, I got my license, that literally is, it'd be close up there with getting married, but it's so close. <laughs> <laughs> it was an amazing day. I remember having my license, it was like a, I could do whatever I wanted to do. I had wheels. And... Back then, we were all buying sort of four cylinder cars that were made in the 80s because they were cheap. And probably our parents and our parents' friends knew best to guide us in that direction because we weren't going to kill ourselves. And so we all sort of had these, these similar vehicles that were around the 80s and they were four cylinders. And a friend of mine, he bought a car from this vintage and he was pretty proud of it, but after a few months, there was a big bubble that appeared in the side panel. Now, for those that know a little bit about cars, a big bubble in the paint is not something we, we, we celebrate. <laughs> there was a big bubble in the side panel through the paint. And what he did was he got some sandpaper, he sanded it back till it was flat, And then he got some spray paint and painted over it. And it looked brand new. It looked new. It looked like there was no problem. And then a few months later, how many know this bubble appeared again? And for those who know nothing about cars, I'm talking about rust. Um, And this went on a few times where he would patch it. He would even put some bog. In there, he would spray paint this, this section of his car. Ross knows all about this. And, but this thing just kept coming back every couple of months. How many know that until we actually treat the cause of the issue, we're just hiding something? In this case, he was just putting a bit of bog and painting over it so it looked good, thinking that that was going to take away the root problem. How many know that it didn't? It just kept rearing, coming out like a growth, a cancer, this rust. And oftentimes that's what happens with our heart. All of a sudden, maybe you're like me and you're driving along and someone pulls out in front of you. How many know that we just realize by what comes out of our mouth, what is in our heart? But sometimes we don't actually deal with the issue in the heart, the anger. We just say, oh, I shouldn't be talking like that. And we mask it without actually going and dealing with the issue of the heart. This issue of the heart is huge. Jesus goes on and and, and throughout Scripture, he's always dealing with the issue of the heart. When Jesus came and he spoke to the Pharisees, the whole thing he was doing was saying, the issue is the issue of the heart. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 says this, Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of the heart flows the issues of life. Let me say that again. Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. What this is saying is that we actually need to guard what is going on in our heart. We need to take personal responsibility. No one is going to take responsibility for your heart. It is our job. It is our responsibility as individuals to take responsibility for our heart. The condition of our heart. It says, for out of this flows the issues of life. Everything comes from the heart. That means if there's something toxic in there, it will ooze out of us in other ways. We might be able to stop it for a moment. We might be able to try and train our mouth. But ultimately, if there's poison in our heart, it's going to flow out our mouth. If there's bitterness in our heart, it's going to explode somewhere. Maybe this morning you're like me and you're thinking, well, how do I even guard my heart? How do I even take a measurement of my heart? How do I even take a stock take of the condition of my heart? If this is so important, how do we even do this? It's a great question. And Jesus gives us a really practical answer. And this is found in Mark chapter 4. If you've got your Bibles, if you can turn to Mark chapter 4. This is the parable of the sower. And in this parable, Jesus tells us, he he warns us against three conditions of the heart that are going to be toxic. He warns us to watch out for these three postures, these three conditions of our heart that will actually bring destruction to us and actually void any fruitfulness in our life. Mark chapter 4, we'll start reading from verse 3. It says, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell among the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on the good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, and some 100. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. If we go over to verse 13, it says, Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like the seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others like seeds sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on the good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 60 Sorry, some 30, some 60, and such, and some 100 times that was sown. Here Jesus tells us that this is three conditions or four conditions of the heart that we need to be mindful of. How many know that the word of God, the seed, is the most powerful thing in the universe? God's word is the most powerful thing. Isn't it interesting that we can have, we can receive the Word of God, the most powerful thing into our heart, and because of the condition of our heart, we can actually make it ineffective. We can actually make it so that the most powerful thing in the universe actually has no impact on our life. This is, this is, this is fascinating. This shows us the power of the condition of our heart. The first condition of our heart is a hard heart. It says that when the seed is thrown, it's, it's on a hard place and it has no ability to go down and penetrate into the soil and to the heart. Therefore, it's just sitting exposed. It's sitting exposed to such an extent that birds can just come down and take it whenever they want. And oftentimes we think of people with hard hearts and we think, oh, well, they're the people that, you know, they've turned their back on God and they've just deliberately said, God, I've had enough. I don't care about you. I no longer believe in you and I'm going to walk in the opposite direction. But we can also have elements of hard-heartedness through our pride and arrogance. Just went really quiet. This is true. Through pride and arrogance, we can actually have a hard heart. It causes our hearts to be hard where all of a sudden, because of pride, we don't want to let anyone see really what's going on. We don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to allow help. We don't want to allow a community of people that God has put around us to actually see and be intimate with us. Of course, we have to do this in a community of people we trust, and I want to emphasise that we need to have someone or some ones that we trust. But at the same time, we need to have someone who we can be authentic with, we can be vulnerable with, about the issues of our life and our heart. Pride often stands there and says, "I've got this all together." It says, I'm going to take a step back from community. I'm going to take a step back from vulnerability. I can work this all out myself. And what happens in that posture and that attitude is it actually causes a hardness of our heart. What that means is oftentimes we don't even know that we've got a hard heart because the Word of God can't even penetrate into it. It just sits on the surface and the birds just come. The enemy just comes and takes that away. It's possible to sit in church and listen to sermons and sermons and read your Bible and listen to all this stuff and actually do it with a hard heart and not let it actually impact or penetrate and bring lasting change in your life. Maybe this morning, even as I've been talking, you've identified that there's areas of hardness of your heart through pride this morning the lord wants to break up that hard heart he wants you to open your life once you get to him and to others and allow his work to penetrate your heart the second condition of the heart that jesus tells us about is a shallow heart it's one where there's rocks and other obstacles in it that, that makes the heart shallow Oftentimes we get a shallow heart because of disappointment, because of bitterness, because of things that we we prayed for and we thought they were going to work out a certain way and we're just disappointed with life and we're disappointed with God. And it says that this condition of the heart, all of a sudden the seed comes and of course, we, we, we identify, we, we, we celebrate what God has said to us, but because there's no root, because there's no foundation, it says when trouble comes, when per- persecution comes, we fall away. I've met people that every time there's some trouble, every time there's a little bit of conflict, they turn their back on God and walk the other way. And all of a sudden, life somehow fixes itself, and and they come back, and they identify back with God, and then all of a sudden, there's another obstacle, and it's just too difficult. How many know that the Lord is actually wanting to mature us? He's actually wanting to put our foundation deep so that we can actually have our roots down deep so that when these troubles come, we actually have someone we can hold on to. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel like the condition of your heart has some elements where they're shallow. Maybe it is bitterness. Maybe it is disappointment. This is the amazing thing about grace, is that the Lord comes and He removes those rocks and He exchanges it with His love, with His grace and His mercy. we're not in a hopeless state. As we surrender to him, once again, he actually comes and he takes a hard heart, a shallow heart and makes it soft, makes it ready to receive the word of God into our life. The third type of heart that Jesus talks about in this parable is a divided heart. It says here it's a It's a heart that has uh, worries about life, deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things. Choke the word. Once again, we have the most powerful thing, the word of God, that comes and implants itself in our heart. How many know that a divided heart actually goes and chokes that very seed, that very word of God in your life? I've experienced all these conditions in my heart. But most of all, I've experienced this one, the divided heart. Years ago, I was, I was sincerely wanting to serve God. I wanted to be used by God. I was sincere in my approach to God. And I did have God on the throne of my heart. The problem was, I had the accumulation of wealth on that throne as well. And this was what I thought. I thought, God, why can't you and these other things get along and you can both sit on that throne? Why does it have to be one? Can't you guys just be friends and sit on the throne of my life together? And this went on for years. It was a divided heart. This is a condition of the heart that Jesus is warning us against. It's a divided heart. It was accumulation of wealth for me. It was other dreams and desires that I had. And I just wanted everyone to get along well. And you could, there's plenty of room on that throne. You can all sit there together. How many know that doesn't work? I remember a saying, I don't know where it's from, maybe it's an old song. But it says, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. I think I got that right. The point is that life doesn't make sense when we have a divided heart. It's full of confusion. So this has been my experience. I had a divided heart. There was no doubt that I was sincere. I wanted to serve God. I had the promises of God over my life. I was doing, I was even pursuing God. And when people looked at my life, they would probably think, what an amazing young man. But the reality was that I just wanted everyone to get along on that throne. I didn't want to have to make a choice. I didn't want to have have to have to make a choice and say, God, I give you my life alone. I wanted to reserve the right to have these other things on the throne as well. And so a life like that is in conflict. It's in confusion. And then over a period of time, a verse in Matthew, which we know very well, it says this, it says, Seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. I might just get the worship team to come back up. Maybe we can do goodness of God, Sasha. We're going to spend a bit of time, as I finish up now, just in surrender. Just in surrender. But this was my conflict. This was the problem. Is that I had God on the throne, but I also had these other things. And I was confused. I was like, "Well, what about if I seek seek love God first, and then like, I think if you've been ch- around church a little while, you know, like the priority list. It's like God. It's like your spouse. Then I think it's is it family, and then it's ministry, and then it's work, or maybe it's work and the ministry. But and, and and it keeps going." The crazy thing is that when I read in Matthew, it just says, seek first the kingdom. And then it doesn't give you a list. It just says, seek first the kingdom. And in my logical mind, I couldn't understand this. Because it was like, if I seek first the kingdom, I'm going to neglect my wife. Because there's no list for her. If I seek first the kingdom, what about my kids? If I seek first the kingdom, what about all these other things that God actually really cares about? There has to be a priority list. This is crazy, but this is true. The verse says Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added. This is what I came to the realization. That I just seek God. That's my job. He does everything else. And right now you're thinking, Ben, that doesn't make sense. How does that look practically in your life? How do you love your wife then? How do you not neglect her? This is what I found. And I'm right about this because I've lived through it. But this is what I found. I'm exhibit A in this. The more I love God, the more I seek Him first, the more grace I get, the more He empowers me to love my wife. The point is that as I seek Him, He gives me grace. He empowers me to love my wife like I never could have done before. This is the crazy thing about the kingdom. It doesn't make sense. It's the same with kids. It's like, hang on, is it true that we can just seek God first, have Him the only one on the throne of our heart, and not neglect our kids? Absolutely. And you'll say, well, what about those people that do neglect their kids? I would like to propose that they're probably not seeking first the kingdom. They're probably seeking first ministry or seeking first religion. So seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added. But how does it work in the business? I don't know, but it does. All I know is that that as I go to work, I see God first, and all of a sudden He just brings strategy. He brings the right person. He makes me look like a genius in meetings. I don't know how it works. I walk into these places, and I'm not lazy. Don't get me wrong here. I'm not lazy. I'm still turning up to work. I'm still putting my uniform in. I'm still ironing my shirt. Well, someone's still ironing my shirt. (laughs) The shirt's getting ironed. But the point is that my focus is about there's one person on the throne of my life, on my heart, and it's Him. And this is where it makes sense. How are we going to be best positioned for the next thing that God has for us corporately and individually? It's the condition of our heart. Proverbs says, guard your heart with all diligence because out of it flows the issues of life. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, hey, my heart is hard. I've just turned my back on God. I've got no time for Him. This morning, I want to say He's got time for you. This morning, there's a a loving God that says, I don't care what you've done in the past, but my arms are open now and I want to restore you. I want you to come into relationship with me. I want to take that hard heart and give you a soft heart that can receive the very Word of God into your life. Maybe you're here and you're like, hey, I've been dealing with bitterness discouragement and I'm so shallow in my faith the Lord wants to say hey let me remove those things let there be an exchange this morning that I take those things and I I, I, I put my love my grace and my mercy in your life and those toxic things are removed or maybe you're like me and you just had a div- you have a divided heart you're like, hey, I, I really want to serve God, but, but there's so many other things I want to do as well. And it's such a sacrifice. And, and, and can we all just get along together on the throne of Ben's heart? I want to encourage you this morning. It takes courage, but it's worth it. We're going to spend some time singing this song. This is time for you to just be before the Lord and yield again, surrender your heart to Him this morning. This is such an amazing place to surrender our heart once again to Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning, you've never been in relationship with God and you want it this morning, I encourage you to come out during this song. We want to pray with you. We want to pray for you. We want to introduce you to the person of Jesus Christ. Don't be fearful. Take a step of courage if that's you and you want to do that. For the rest of us, I just want you to examine your heart. Examine your heart this morning and ask the Holy Spirit to identify areas of either hardness or shallowness or or division in your heart. Hebrews 12 verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Let us put aside those weights, that sin that so easily stops us from running the race. This morning, I just want you to surrender to him again. Maybe you can put your arms up or put them out or just a sign of surrender this morning. Why don't we just close our eyes and just get in that posture of surrender. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Right now, Lord, we just surrender our will. We surrender our thoughts, our dreams, our desires. Lord, because when we know as soon as we surrender that, Lord, you turn those things and you give us a hope and a future that we could have never dreamed of. This morning we say once again, we say we're yours. We're saying, Lord, these areas of hardness in our heart, Lord, would you make soft again? Would you make soft to receive that word that you want to implant in our hearts? In the name of Jesus.